0: Welcome to episode 19. No 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 19. I've gone to the dogs as always. I am Danny Jackson and uh, might go a bit crazy because I've had very little sleep. And as always, it is my co-pilot.
1: Joe Siff Andrews. Hello Danny, hello listeners. You all right?
0: I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I went to Nottingham on Monday, so I think I've been on a high all week to be fair. It was absolutely brilliant. Good. I've not been greyhound racing uh, without working for ages. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to go. Why not go and see the absolute superstars? So I trundled off on my own. And it's one of those, you know, sports and one of those places that you can go and someone will talk to you. And you can talk to people and people don't look at you like you've got three heads when you walk into a room on your own. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I had the best night. We're, co- we're going to cover a few of the races, of course, in the intro, but absolutely yeah. a fantastic night. What about you? Do
1: you good. get up so much, Joe? Um, well, I was in Lagos for work last week. I got back oh. Saturday morning and landed about five thirty a.m. So, to be honest, I was pretty shattered all weekend. A friend of mine came uh, and stayed Saturday to Sunday, and then uh, I can't even remember what we did Monday. Went out for lunch, I think. Yeah, it was pretty low key. I was just, I was just shattered the whole weekend from from the work trip. So, uh, all good though. Watched watched plenty of greyhound racing and had a few drinks.
0: And just to say, we had some absolutely cracking racing on saturday didn't we at monmore
1: brilliant yeah yeah fantastic racing at monmore we had lynx maverick who cemented himself as the top four bend dog certainly you know over the, the shorter four bend trips just looks unstoppable i mean he traps every single time yeah, um, and nothing could catch him he is a very very fast dog and it was it was great you know he People were saying him versus Churchfield Sid, but they'd obviously met a couple of times, and he and he put him in his place again. Not taking anything away from Churchfield Sid, who's just um, you know a young dog himself. Mm. But but Links Maverick, I mean, what a dog to own and train. And Tom Hailbron's done a done a really good job with him. It's hard to find dogs like that that are so consistent, and he's just brilliant. And um, not sure what's on the on the agenda next, but he's turning into a dog that people are going to start going to the tracks to want to want to see. You know, absolute superstar. So well done to to, to all connections. And then we had the summer stayers from post to pillar. It's not (laughs) a divisive dog because I think everyone thinks he's great on his day. But, you know, he's had a brilliant competition. He's been great in the summer stayers, hasn't he? And he he got out well um, on, on Saturday and he wasn't for catching. But having said that, Droop is Clue. Lost nothing in defeat there. He, mm. he only lost by a neck in the end, you know, from post to pillar, put in a 12-18 sectional, drooper's Clue, 12-35 and he was finishing very fast. So, uh, you know, again, we know from post to pillar a good dog, Drooper's Clue is just uh, only just turned two and he is a fantastic prospect and, you know, really top quality stayer. Um, and one, you know, that we should look forward to seeing next. I, I think, Ian, um, talk of him going for the ledger. We'll see. I don't think from post to Biller will be going for the ledger, but... Uh,
0: I think it's too long for him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, think... I haven't seen anything, but I, doubt I he's not going to go for the ledger, is he?
0: No, I don't think... I think the kind of shorter staying trips are perfect yeah, for posty exactly. and the slightly longer staying trips are perfect for Droopy's Clue. So, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you could he, see that with the way they raced against each other on Saturday. On. So. So that
1: was great. And then also on Saturday though, Danny, we had the Grand National.
0: We did. We did have the Grand National. It was ace uh, lunchtime treat at Crayford. And Coppice Fox was the winner, of course, for Ricky Holloway. Ritzy Flyer. I've mentioned this uh, Greyhound on the podcast before, and I know he's going to win something at some point. But he came up short because he missed the break. And he does that on occasion. He jumps quite well, though. And I do like Ritzy Flyer. But Coppice Fox cracked out the boxes. Pops out, made all, and that was that game over. He's turning into a really nice hurdler, to be fair, for Ricky Holloway. He's in good hands. And there was a little bit of uh, bumping and barging, as there usually is in a hurdle race, because you've got slightly awkward dogs and obviously obstacles as well. So yeah, they can get a little bit messy. But Coppice Fox, really, really good winner. And Ritzy Flyer, he's going to win one. I just you keep getting the each way money.
1: Keep... And on to Nottingham. You went, you went to see Space Jet. You finally saw in the flesh. How was it? There was some top quality racing. We were treated to a special staying race as well from your favourite.
0: Unbelievable, Jeff. Unbelievable. I mean, we had the Puppy Classic, which was won by Glenvale Bill. I think that made it five from seven in his career. He was absolutely yeah. superb. Didn't get out as quick as um, Coppice Rocket, who did a 4.99 split. He got a little bit of crowding. But then he just powered to victory. I mean, it was almost five lengths that he put between himself and the rest of the field for Graham Rankin. And he's got a really, really good future. To be honest with you, I think they all are very, very nice greyhounds. Mm. But he has really stamped his authority on on the map at the moment. And I was really, really taken by Glenvale. Bill, he'd
1: he'd been sold, hadn't he? I I believe Um, he's going to Patrick Janssen's.
0: Yes. Yes, he is. so. So for next chapter
1: yeah yeah so that's good but he was very impressive wasn't he like you said um, he stood out he was a deserved winner of the competition i I think Mm. um and you know exciting to see what he he can do
0: because puppy races can sometimes get a little bit messy because they're still kind of learning on the job but it was fantastic it was just a great spectacle uh then we got to the select stayers and space jet did her usual dropped out the back of the telly not quite as far as she did at perry bar when she was beaten into third place uh, on the run prior she got a better break than i thought she was going to she broke and...
1: level didn't she yeah. and then got then game got shuffled back i think
0: she didn't get shuffled back she just did her usual ah, I, I thought I know she might have got a little
1: a little, a little nudge by another dog, but, but yeah, she—I couldn't believe it because you were waiting when they break. You usually wait to see how far behind Space Jet is. or they yeah. were all, they were all in a line. So it didn't take a long to, uh, to drop out the back.
0: I mean, I was screaming. I was like, "Yes, she's got out! Yes, she's still there!" Like you know, and you just think she's not detached herself. Whereas at Perry Bar, she kind of detached herself a little yeah, bit too she much. Had too
1: much to do there, yeah.
0: So she was just sensational. And when she started moving down the back, you know, she's, she's kind of. She does the same thing in every race, doesn't she? Over six bends. She starts moving down the back, starts picking them off one by one, weaves in and out, knows where to go, uses her great brain that she's got, her great racing brain, and then powered to a full length victory.
1: Yeah. From she was the going back. further clear. I mean, she, she she sort of hit the front just off the last bend, didn't she? For yeah. once, she didn't leave it particularly late and she was she was going away. It was mightily impressive. and um, The roar you know, another... went up. I can imagine. And she was a fair <laughs> price as well. I think at six to four SP or something around that region. So I six imagine to four. I got seven to four. Aye, aye. Ay, all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, but...
0: I, yeah, I put a couple of quid on. I don't bet big, as everyone knows. So I made about, you know, a tenner. Woo!
1: <laughs> Better than nothing. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it was just, you know, I'll, that's what I wanted to see. She was the dog that drew me to Nottingham on Monday. And
1: no. then... Okay. Well, look, moving on to the other great racing that yes. was there, I think a certain Clona Duke uh, won well.
0: Yeah, he did all right. Um, he did a sensational job, uh, Clona Duke. He won by almost three lengths, beating Candle in Monsoon. He was even crowded a little bit when he came out of the boxes, but he just led off the first bend and, I mean, he blew them away. Um, 29.49 the time. Uh, Romeo Command, I backed Romeo Command, more a heart overhead, um, and I couldn't decide. I was talking to loads of people and no one could quite nail down who they fancied in the select Days. Mm. It was that good a field that you just, it was one of those races where you just think, well, I don't care who wins because it's going to be sensational. And it was, there was no trouble, A little bits of crowd and little bits of scrimmaging, but there was no trouble. It was a clean run race and it was it was electric, and Cloner Duke deserved winner. Just muscled up round the first bend and blew him away by almost three lengths. So Graham Holland, obviously, with the win, and uh, very impressive. Loved Class it. Last
1: greyhound, yeah, and a, and a great lineup. You know, six six really good greyhounds going at it, and uh, you know those races are really exciting. You've got you know some of the best Irish dogs coming over again for one-off races. It's brilliant, and they should be easy to promote that as well. And 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 obviously, Monday was the start of National Greyhound Week. Um, and it looks like on the whole so far, we've got a bit to go. It's been a big success. They had a bumper crowd at Oxford, obviously free admission and a, and a free drink. And it's been so successful. They're doing the same um, tomorrow night on Saturday. Um, you said there was a big crowd at Nottingham. I've seen mm-hmm. tracks on on social media that I don't usually see doing much that are doing, you know, doing stuff, trying to get people through the door this week. So I think, you know, in that in that sense, it's, it's been a big success. And hopefully a lot of those people will go racing again and maybe even. Re, uh you know re- homer homer greyhound i did something did make me laugh on twitter because i i saw an auntie put something like um you know we've hijacked greyhound Week and it was like there's thousands of people that have actually gone racing, and there's the same five people on Twitter that tweet anti-ground racing stuff all the time, just tweeting about it. And apparently they've they've hijacked it. So, uh yeah, that did 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 raise a smile. But yeah, uh. b- big success, and hopefully they'll build on it as well next year. You know, it's the first one. Hopefully more can be done. They'll have a longer run up. They can plan more stuff. And um yeah, we'll see we'll see what they can do. Yeah, and have a look if you don't know what's going on. Have a look at your local track. Um, social media or give them a call or go on their website i'm sure they're advertising it but try and make some effort and uh, and go down and see the action firsthand you won't regret it and you'll definitely be back again
0: you absolutely will right i think that's it for the news so we're going to dive into a fascinating interview with jim cremin
1: jim cremin thank you very much for joining danny and myself it's an absolute pleasure to have
2: you on how are you doing well, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm, I've just arrived in Adair County Limerick. I've, uh, I've been to this week, or uh, well, last week, I reached Monmore for the, the, the finals there, which was a brilliant night's nice racing, then came across to Dublin, uh, I went. Uh, was lucky enough to go to the uh, Irish Derby, the lunch, to celebrate the finals, getting there. That was on Monday. And I'll be back on Friday. I'll be back for the Juvenile Derby Heat. So, of course, then the final itself on Saturday.
1: Yeah, very nice. Some great action coming up. And I didn't know this, but you are actually an Irishman. Well,
2: I think it might be described as a plastic paddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, my parents, um, my mum was from Roscommon, my dad from uh, County Kerry. Uh, they met in, in England, got married in Quecks Road, Kilburn. My dad and one of his brothers uh, actually uh, ran an Irish dance hall on the Kilburn High Road, the Bambo. And my first ever job was working there, uh, I think I was about 10. I was a cashier on a Saturday night and let's put it this way, I learned a lot. <laughs> I grew up very quickly.
1: I bet you did. I bet that was an absolute eye-opener. So Jim, did you always have an interesting greyhound racing then from a young age?
2: Yeah, um, my my parents used to take take me home to Ireland every summer. We so we'd spend a week in Roscommon, which is my mum's county, and no greyhound racing there. There was greyhound trainers there, but no no actual race tracks, greyhound race tracks. I no, there is horse racing there. Um, and then the second week would be down in in Kerry, and my uh, uncle's farm was, is in Liselton which is halfway between Barry Bunyan and The Stow. Now, Barry Bunyan at that time had a relatively small greyhound track. The Stole, of course, is still famous today for, for its horse racing. So I, I was taken to both, and, but I was gripped by greyhound racing. My Uncle Gus, he bred greyhounds on the family farm. It was just a little bit of a sideline. He would sell them fairly quickly They'd have a, a good run, and they did, never believed in holding on to greyhounds. Uh, he always sort of was aware of the risk, shall we say. Um, you know, sell them on and hope they did well for whoever the the, the buyer was. And he would run them initially at Bally Bunyan or Tralee and Limerick, which of course they're, they're still there today, although it was the old Limerick in those days, it's a new Limerick track today. And I used to really enjoy it.
1: What was it about the grounds that sort of piqued your interest, especially when there's so much horse racing around?
2: Well, the an interesting thing was my 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 uncle Gus. He he was actually a very well known character because he he was a, a former Kerry captain, so of Gaelic football, which I suppose made him famous and popular, and everyone knew him. And I would be, I mean, I, I was there. I was six or seven, I think, with him. I'd be sort of. By his knees, shall we say, listening. Everyone would be coming up to him and talking to him, talking about their greyhounds and telling him what was, uh, you know, what their hopes and dreams were for for, for their dogs. And I, I used to absorb it all. And in fact, that 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 year, I went home with a shoebox of money because I was having secret little bets, and. I kept winning because the, you know, by, just by luck, really, I suppose. But I was listening to the information being passed to my my Uncle Gus and I thought it was easy.
0: <laughs> and then you learnt along the years, Jim, that it's definitely not easy.
2: <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it took me a little while to realise it wasn't uh, that, uh, quite so simple. Um, but I, I also loved walking the Greyhounds at, at home. You know, they, they, was just, they, they captured me, as I said earlier. It was, it was a great experience. And uh, listen, going to L- the horse racing was great. It was, you know, the, the Kerry National was always the highlight of, of the year there, the Harvest Festival, which is coming up in about three weeks. In fact, I, I have a tip, I've written it down, or I said, oh, it much it'll be, it's a well-known horse. But at the Derby lunch on Monday, I was told to, look, to sort of cheer on Shark Hanlon's Hewick because he's, he's running there on the Wednesday mm-hmm. in the Kerry National. I think, I think it'd be top weight, but he you know, should be a price, and he's certainly going there you know, to 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 run well. So, and, uh, yeah, Listol was was always a lovely place to go racing, and great atmosphere. It was the greyhounds I liked.
1: And how did that manifest then into a uh, glittering career? Where did it all start in terms of working in the industry?
2: When I went home, and obviously these were I was very young at that stage, and then as I grew older and uh, as a teenager I used to go to all the London tracks uh, just just I was I loved it there, there were so many to choose from then I left school at 17 and I, well, I came back to Ireland for a bit and then I came back to London and got a job at Labrooks and I was working in a betting shop in near Paddington I remember once a uh, some tourists came in and asked about going grey racing, and uh, I said I looked up. I got the sporting life and looked to see what was racing. I said, "Well, Harringay's racing tonight," and I said, "I'm happy to take you." They were delighted, and I was delighted. I was able to, to do the guided tour. Act brought them round on the tube up to Harringay uh, Green Lanes, as, as it was the Manor House Station. You you get off at on the Piccadilly line. Walk down to the track. I loved Harringay. Harringay was for me, the perfect greyhound track, and show them around, um, tip them as ever for, for Kremen, loads of losers, but they, they loved it. And um, whilst back in the betting shop then, I saw an advert, again in the Sporting Life, for assistant racing manager at Brighton Hope Stadium, and that's it, was called Brighton Hove Stadium in those days, and I applied, and I got the job.
0: And that's where the career really developed from uh, Brighton and Hove. Obviously, you were at Labrooks and you cover everything. But then when you're in
2: Hove, you're were, in...
0: were you thrown into the deep end a little bit as the, as the racing manager at Hove?
2: Well, I was assistant racing manager. And, but yeah, I mean, my boss was Peter Shotman, uh, who was a, a stickler, uh, scrupulously honest, reminded me of my father. He was a very, also a very kind man. And I learned an awful lot from him. But I remember it went on holiday, so I was fairly fairly soon after I joined, and I was sort of, as you say, dropped into the deep end of doing the grading and everything. And in those early days, we'd started handicaps there. And I remember Mr. Shorten, and I remember when I got the job, when I was, when I was, when I was in the interview, I, I was calling him Peter, because at Labrook's everything was very informal. But after he gave me the job, he said, Jim, now, please remember, from now on, it's Mr. Shotton, and I got the message. So Mr. Shotton, um to make sure everything was sort of uh, covered, he, he asked, the, the nearest trap was Portsmouth, and Jim Layton uh, was racing manager there. And uh, he asked Jim to come and oversee, you know, just keep a sit in the steward's box and keep an eye on me and make sure I didn't do anything stupid. And I agreed to the meeting, and um, Jim didn't say anything. You just sort of sat there quietly. And then the handicap took place. It was a 75 yards handicap, and I knew nothing about handicaps. And Jim, of course, had been, I think he'd also worked up at Shawfield and Scotsman. Handicaps were meat and drink to him. And this handicap didn't go too well. The reason being is I had so stupidly put a front runner off the back of the handicap, and uh, it ran deplorably. And I remember Jim Layton saying, what idiots, and there was an, an explicit point before that what idiots put this race together? And it was, it was like, I thought, I'm not going to last, I'm, I'm only going to last six months here. It's, uh, it was uh, embarrassing. But um, listen, one of the things I learned quickly is you make mistakes, people make mistakes. The essential thing is to learn from those mistakes. And if you if you you hold your hands up, you say I got it wrong, but for God's sake, don't make the same mistake again. And I, I you, know, you learn.
1: And what was your next move after Brighton and Hove then?
2: So I was I was four years at Hove, and uh, I I loved the job. And funny enough, I mean, I remember we're, again going back to that interview. Mr. Shotton said to me. Um, so you want to leave, you know, you're working for Labrooks. Why do you want to leave? And uh, I said, I don't want to leave. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed working in the betting shop. So the only thing I didn't like in those days was uh, the smoking, because smoking was permitted, and I, I never smoked. And when, when I used to ca- catch the 16 bus home to Cricklewood, and after I'd worked in the betting shop, you'd sit down in, the, in a seat on the bus, and anyone would sit next to you, and they'd move away, because you stank like a kipper. And my mum used to hang my suit out on the washing line afterwards. And that was the reason, really, why I, I wanted to... I was keen to move, but I also loved the the opportunity to work with the greyhounds. Anyway, so I was four years there, and I uh, so thoroughly enjoyed it. Mr Shorten then got a job at Wembley Stadium as executive head of racing and asked me, would I like to come as well? And I was very flattered. And again, he was going really close to where my parents were. My parents were in Cricklewood. Uh, Wembley would be about three, four miles away, if that. And I um, I said yes. And I ended up eight years at, at Wembley. So I think you're probably the first of the, should we say, the ex-racing managers, the old boys, ex-racing managers club you've, you've had on. I don't think you've, you've had a racing manager on your podcast yet. So I became racing manager at Wembley. Uh, during that spell during that eight years again it was a privilege working there uh, you know the best racing top trainers one of the things i'd learned was that you worked as a team as as the racing manager and or part of the racing officer initially the same at Hove. you you work together and of course at the same time you can't be too friendly because you're officiating you're putting on the racing you're in charge but at the same time, you have to respect the trainers and as being the professionals they are. And I was always very lucky. I, was, I worked with some great people because there was a lot of benefits working at Wembley. You, you had backstage passes to the to really pop concerts that were staged there. I loved all that. And, and as Wembley racing manager, I had the privilege of having 50 5 FA Cup final tickets. And, then, and of course, in those days, so this was the um, early 80s, in those days, the cup final was the big thing. What happened was Sir Arthur Elvin, who built Wembley, and then the, the original stadium went bankrupt, as a lot of those sort of things did in those days, he turned to Greyhound Racing, and Greyhound Racing saved the day. Uh, this was in the late 20s. And in, in gratitude, he, he bequeathed to the whoever the Greyhound Racing manager was 50 cup final tickets. And so when I got the job, I then... I remember staging a draw and the the tickets will be then offered to whoever, uh, from our owners, from our grand owners. You'd have the the draw and I'd ring them up and say, you're lucky enough to have uh, got a cup final ticket or two cup final tickets as it was, but you have to make sure that they don't end up in the black market, because it's a privilege that we have this and I don't want to risk anyone should we say a football fan who felt aggrieved that he couldn't get one, and here was a ground owner at Wembley um, having that privilege, and um, we very much valued it. Excellent. And what sort of crowds were they getting
1: at Wembley back then when you were racing manager?
2: Well, problem was was that we were the national stadium, so even if we got a good crowd, it looked very sparse. Uh, on a really good night, I mean, the ledger you'd be you'd be getting several thousands. I mean, look, when Scurlo champ hit the headlines and he used to draw, we, we would have five, six, seven thousand people to cheer on Skirlow. Uh, he was he was the amazing dog of that, of that period in the sense that he was a crowd puller, and people would come from all over the country to see him. And one of the most extraordinary performances I remember was in a 710 race. Now it's a bit like we've got Space Jet today, but Skirlow was Space Jet Plus. Because he would he would drop himself totally out. He'd be two bends behind, and I, I think it, I forget what year it would have been. It was around, I think, it was eighty five. The, the the dog that went on to win the Saint Ledger that year, Jet Circle, was in front, and Skerloch came from a ridiculously position to pick him up. Uh, the, the whole place went mad, and you you never forget things like that. And that's why you know greyhounds like Space Jet are. It was just so exciting and was such a, such a privilege. She won, she ran in one so brilliantly again at Nottingham on Monday. And I was there, t- was it two years ago, three years ago? Two years ago when she had her first, first time she came to prominence. She ran in a maiden again on select stakes night. And it was just a routine race. And I I didn't really expect anything. And wow. And... <laughs> From then ever since then, she's she's done the same as what Skerluk has done. Quite how she's never been elected, Grand uh, of the Year is one of the mysteries of life.
1: Mm, maybe this year.
0: I was going to say, hopefully this year, because I saw her on Monday at Nottingham and she was just sensational. She's the consummate professional. She doesn't get worked up about anything. She's so totally relaxed and she looks an absolute picture. So I think she does go to the, well, she is going to the ledger and if she does do well in the ledger, I I think she's got to be up there for Greyhound of the Year. She's she's never been out the front three. She's got a 70% strike rate. I mean, who else could be? Greyhound of the year. I know there's a couple, but
2: come on, it's got to be Space Jet. Got to be. Well, yeah, you, you say that, but I mean, the, the Greyhound writers used to have that job, and uh, you know, we, we were sacked, or I was sacked anyway, from from the job um, by the Greyhound board. They took they took on the role, and since they've taken on the role, they've had two goes at it, and they've managed to ignore her. It just baffles me. Uh, and to have a superstar like that, you know, we should be celebrating her. But of course, but this year's St Ledger. I mean, we have got uh, Droopy's Clue likely to go for it, and uh, I saw him run a fantastic race and defeat at Monmore on Saturday. And uh, let's believe that the connections are thinking of the Ledger and, and why not? Young dog, but you know, really superb. Uh, lucky to come up against Posty getting a ping, a, a ping start. You know, the same card at Monmore last Saturday. We we saw uh, a bitch, Barry Mac Taylor again, mm. brilliant. Uh, Mark Wallace's. Is- that uh, bitch took off from a hopeless position and and she's also incredibly friendly. <laughs> so <laughs> it's up to her as well. And I'm disappointed. I again I normally would always try and go to both the Select Stakes meeting and, and the St. Venture because they're old Wembley races and I, I still see them as mine. <laughs> uh, it's probably just being being stupid, but I, I, I do see it as mine. And I, I just want, want to say that I'm very grateful to Nottingham in what we've done with the select stakes. I'm envious that you were there uh, on Monday. <laughs> uh, of course, I was at the Derby lunch and at Shelbourne, so I had a reason not to be there. I normally would have been there, uh, but they, the Corden family uh, said they would look after the select stakes when memory closed, and my golly, they certainly have. And that race they put on 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 Saturday uh, itself was a great race on a great field. And then it goes to the ledger at Perry Bar. I've never quite felt comfortable with the 7.10 trip because at Wembley it was a 6.55 short run to the first bend. And that meant Derby dogs could take their chance in it. And it's it's a bit trickier for them over 7.10. But then, you know, 7.10 has produced Space Jets when she won the ledger two years ago and there's been some great racing from that and I know Perry Barr have been very proud of it and Dave they've, they've looks after the ledger and you know, I feel sorry for in a sense there's a lot of uncertainty uh, about the track there as to what, what will happen but uh, that remains to be seen.
0: Yeah it certainly does and I'll be there on semi-finals night so I'm very much looking forward to it. So Jim from Wembley, where did you go from there?
2: It was late 1985, I got a phone call from Mike Palmer, who was Wembley's correspondent for The Sporting Life. And he offered me a job. And so he was telling me there's a brand new racing paper going to start, The Racing Post. Uh, it was still on the drawing board. Um, and I have to say, I was very flattered by this. But bear in mind, I was racing manager your Wembley Stadium. <clears throat> I was you know, one of the top jobs in the sport Bob Rowe would always say he, he had the best job, racing manager at White City. Well, <laughs> I, you know, well, I think of my backstage passes for the pop concerts and stuff, and uh, I, I, I was quite happy. I, I, I'd take Wembley over White City, but on a personal level. And uh, it, but it was flattering to be asked. And at the time, the sporting life had lost its way with Grand Racing. was it, it, it was it was at, The owner was Robert Maxwell, and he was a sort of a strange character, and it was a lot of cutbacks. And you know, the grand desk there were doing a great job, but with, with in a very, they were struggling just with their resources and the space they were being given. And it, it, this seemed a, a chance to, have to take a fresh look at how the sport was covered. And uh, I went for it. So I left Wembley back in 1985, and. The roasting post started, I think it was in April 1986, and so I basically helped set it up. I was that stage Deputy Grand Editor under Mike, and Mike wanted me to, to put get the operation up and running. It was great fun. Before I signed in the dotted line, I remember asking, because I also knew it was high risk, because so at that period there seemed to be a lot of new newspapers starting. It was a, a period of great transformation in the sense that new technology was making newspapers more different ways of doing it in, in, in the sense of how newspapers were put together. They were, they were being done in a more electronic way. So there was more there was a lot more risk being taken in the sense that you were going into marketplaces where you know, would you survive? And of course obviously with the sporting life being the established newspaper, it, it did seem risky. But I was lucky enough to get. A, I asked for a two-year contract, and that convinced me to go. But even so, you know, to go from a, a racing manager to to as a journalist, it was a big leap. I remember thinking to myself, even though it was a non, it was. I was told it was a non-union paper. I remember thinking, well, I'll know about that? I'll approach the N.U.J. and National Union Journalists and see whether I, you know, whether I'd be accepted." And uh, little did I know, at the time, the NUJ, it was a question of people who were leaving uh, newspapers. There were, was a huge change in the newspaper industry. And they certainly were, they were welcoming people with open arms. And I would never have got into the NUJ, shall we say, five years earlier. But uh, I got my press pass almost immediately. <laughs> and I remember jumping up and down with glee. I, I'm a journalist! <laughs> I've got my my press pass and my picture on it and it's authorized by the police and I, I, I could go anywhere I wanted and it's it sounds so silly now and it was very vain but uh, I was I was proud of that so I, I didn't really need it but I was proud of it
1: and then just talk us through some of those memories you've got at the racing post gym because it was a, a long and stellar career so what what stands out over the years?
2: Well, obviously, one of the one of the first big things at that period was 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 Barry Ring and Bob, in the sense that he would established himself. He is the greatest square hand of all time, no question. Um, and the reason I say that is he had perfect balance. And all champions, whether racehorses, boxers, take Muhammad Ali, what they are, what they have is balance, and they dance and you see red rum when when he jumped around Aintree. He, he just this balance. I remember seeing red rum open a betting shop once, and this was quite a long time ago now, um, and it we'll would never be allowed today on health and safety reasons, but this is a betting shop in Birmingham, and there was red rum in this betting shop, and a crowd of about a 1,000 people all crammed in. And kids and whatever, uh you know, because it was the shop wasn't officially open, but he was there and everyone was packed in just to see red rum. And what red rum had was he was like a cat, and he had such awareness of where his where his hoofs were. And even though all these people were around him, he was so such a kind horse. And at that, when I saw that, that's how that gave me an inkling as to what made him special around Aintree, because he had that balance. Bally Ring and Bob had balance and he flowed around the bends. And uh, of course, one of the the big races that we had at Wembley was the, the John Power Showdown, uh, which was uh, a four-runner race, which saw Skirloak attempt to take on Bally Ring and Bob. But uh, <laughs> I think most people think Skirloak <laughs> just got too far behind. Uh, he stopped uh on, on the second bend and this was live on uh it was live on television and i was racing manager i remember i had my finger on the on the button to stop the hair because and bob he was being chased by track and in Gledo and queen the second and third and then scurlow got to the players tunnel and passed the players tunnel then he got to the royal tunnel uh, so he was in no man's land and I was about to stop the race and again yeah, you know, with a huge crowd there that, would, that was quite a big moment but thankfully my assistant uh, Terry Norman rescued us he was down for the presentation obviously you always had people for emergency at the first end but he was at the uh, Royal Tunnel and with uh, aided by a security officer called Jerry Garnham Jumped onto the track, secured Skiralog, and the race continued. And Barry Regan Bob continued on his way to his uh, world record attempt. And at the Racing Post, I was uh, the, the countdown to the, the the world record. He was going to try and beat Joe Dunk, and he needed to win thirty two races in a row. And. Uh, There was various races that Racing Post sponsored on the way, Racing Post International, Wimbledon, so on and so forth. The big one was the the 32nd one, uh, where he would break the world record. I remember doing the deal with Hove for the Racing Post to sponsor it. And one of the great moments was getting it onto onto television and the BBC nine o'clock news showed that race live. It's an extraordinary thing. And we were a fledgling newspaper it was 1986. The paper had started that May, I think it was December 1986. And to have that association with Barry and Bob and that prominence, it was, it was quite a big moment. And uh, I, remember doing, I remember agreeing to do the deal to sponsor the race and then going back to tell my bosses <laughs> <laughs> what I'd done <laughs> to, to my relief. They, they said, oh, well done, Jim. That's, uh, that's a good idea. I thought, well, what if they said? Well, they won't got any money for it. Uh, one of the reasons why I was able to do the deal fairly fairly straightforwardly because it was end of year. And most, a lot of uh, the lot of people, end of year, your budget's all spent. So I was able to jump in there and, and, and get the raise, And uh, yeah, it was good. We, we, we were lots of fun. Uh, things started. We started um, price wise. Started. We started that on the greyhound pages. I remember. When, again, when, when again before I signed on the dotted line, I asked my colleagues there. You know, what was the the situation with the uh, bookmakers? Were they were they going to support the paper? Were they advertising the paper and? I I was told they were, because that that added to my confidence that the paper might survive um, in the longer term. But um, as it turned out, you know, the the Sporting Life did deals with the bookmakers and we we basically had to get on with it. And one of the things that the Sporting Life used to have in the the, uh, betting adverts was the prices for all the events. And because the bookmakers well Mecca bookmakers were were advertising. I was one of the big four at the time. Um, But the others weren't. And we on the Graham pages we started a price-wise table for the Graham derby that year to show our readers what all the prices were. And Mm -hmm. that went down well. It wasn't called price-wise, it was just the tables. And I was called into a meeting and said, you know, the everyone likes this idea. Let's try and broaden it for the entire paper. Mark coton was the uh, horse racing journalist asked to 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 manage it. And he came up with the idea of the name Pricewise. And, of course, to this day, it's one of the key brands within the paper. So I can claim it came from greyhounds.
0: That is good. That is good news. Uh, one other thing I wanted to know. Did the Muttley column come first or did the horse racing equivalent column come first?
2: <laughs> of course. Muttley came first. <laughs> and the back, the background to Muttley was, what happened was, uh, John McRae was always on contract to the Racing Post. And for, for whatever reason, he was contracted to the paper. We didn't, we seemed to be doing an awful lot for it. And uh, I was a bit baffled by this because, you know, Big Mac was uh, a big brand. And uh, I remember saying to the, Chief Executive at uh, one stage, we, we don't seem to be using you know, John an awful lot, you know, can, can, can I use him? <laughs> so I said, yeah, that's fine, if you want to give him a ring and see what he wants to do. So I found him up and said, John, we'd like you to do a greyhound column on a Saturday. And it, it, he was delighted, he, John loved, always loved greyhounds very supportive of the of the paper and I think part part of what the deal with the racing post was that he was he'd be doing PR for them as and when he could but this was a new thing to to get him to do a column and uh so I would ring him every Thursday uh, and discuss whatever the racing was and he'd give his views on the the big the big uh, issues of the day I'd knock it all together sort of um put it together and then he would he would then transform it into what he wanted. Uh, John was a, was very particular in getting the his style across, and a pretty very busy man, so it was uh, you'd you'd have to you'd have to try and work. Oh, I'd be ringing him all around the world sometimes he'd be he'd be horse racing in America for a egregious cup or whatever. So on a Saturday. We'd have John McCrory on the front page of the greyhound section, and with a column that would cover greyhound racing, but also any of the big news of horse racing. And it was wonderful, because what it meant was that we were attracting a broader readership to the all the horse race people would they'd be flicking through the paper, and the horse people in general they wouldn't take too much notice of greyhounds. They see John McCrory, and all of a sudden they're interested. A problem emerged was then a row broke out between one of my colleagues and John McCurry over uh, some comments that one of my colleagues had made. And this became quite ferocious. And the relationship between John and the paper broke down. And it was uh, all very unfortunate. It should never have happened. It wasn't John's fault. And I, I was cursing, because I, I I had, to, I, I, this was a great arrangement for the Graham section. And the deal with John ended, I was left with nothing. The The, the big draw on a Saturday was John McCurry. I remember going away on holiday, fuming that that uh, that summer and I was, I think I was in Portugal. And I picked up a paper. And it was in Portuguese, obviously. And I saw a column and it gave me the idea for Muttley. It was just really strange. I just saw this column and it was full of little didn't really know what was in there, but you could see it was a Mickey taking column. And I thought that's what we need. So I've gone back and came up with the idea and we came up with a name. We had a sort of a board meeting where we all kicked it around and started writing Muttley's. I went to change the name slightly. I'm not sure which way Muttley spelled for. On the cartoon character, our mutley had to be slightly different. I'm not sure if we got one team or two teams or whatever. And uh, the idea was to make it funny. And so I, I would be I would be contributing these mutleys. I always remember my my colleagues saying after a while, they said to me, Jim, you're banned from mutleys because all your mutleys are boring. This <laughs> this has to be funny. What is the matter with you? And. Uh, So I was sort of quite disconsolate really. So, basically I I, I think it's fair to say I was the ideas man, well, an ideas man at the paper, but when it came to making things work, uh, it uh, it got taken on by people who were more capable than I was.
3: Hi, my name's Lee trying to find a home for a fella called cool hill duster or Gus to his friends he's a march 19 black dog so he's about four and a half years old now and he's up with the suffolk greyhound trust he was trained by john mullins so ran initially at brighton and then moved into john at yarmouth he's a big fella he's 38 39 kilos boisterous but incredibly easy to handle. Lovely, lovely nature. There's a couple of videos of him on the Greyhound Trust Suffolk website. He's been with them since February, so he's their longest stayer because he's a big dog. And I think people are somewhat concerned about his size more than anything because his nature is wonderful. As I say, his name's Coolhill Duster. His name is Gus, uh, to his friends. You can contact the Greyhound Trust Suffolk on 07938-802627. I'll say that again, 07938-802627. Or email Suffolk at Greyhound or go to their Facebook page where you can see videos of Gus playing with his ball out in the field. So if you can find space for him in your home he'd be a wonderful addition to the family so please take a look
1: i don't think it would be fair at all to say you're retired because you're absolutely not but but when did it start winding down at the the racing post
2: well look I, i want to say the racing post have been fantastic to me they looked after me when when i needed help um there was a period of my life when i was having a tough time and they were they were good to me and when when you get that support when you need it you never forget it and uh, I, I, I to this day i'm i'm very grateful and then out of the blue i went to my doctor because i was coughing up some blood and i was worried and I, you know when you if you Google, anything, anything, any medical condition. You, you should never really do it because you you see the worst. Like when I when I looked at what coughing up blood could be, I was you know, I was absolutely petrified. So I rang my doctor who I never went to. I was living down in in South London at the time, and I rang my doctor and they were too busy to see me. because uh, I'd read what I'd read, I thought too busy. So I went straight down of the tube from the office and just stood there at the counter and uh, said, look, you've got to see me. I'm dying. So they, they gave up and saw me. And uh, I remember the doctor saying, well, the coughing up her blood is trivial. It, it was ab- absolutely nothing. You know, you're a complete false alarm. However, uh, we have discovered you've got something called atrial fibrillation, which is uh, a heart condition and uh, I had to go. I was then taken off to hospital. I actually got taken off to hospital in an ambulance. So it was an emergency of sorts. But And I went through various tests, and one thing led to another. Uh, I had an operation called an ablation, where you actually stop your heart, restart it. It worked for a bit. And I'd moved by this time, and a friend of mine recommended a a private doctor, it was unusual, it was a private GP, very surprisingly reasonable. And I went to see him and said, look, I've been recommended to you. You know, I've got this condition. I don't really know what uh, what's ahead of me. And can you help me and tell me what you think? Anyway, he was good and he did all the tests. And eventually he discovered I was actually in heart failure, which sounds dramatic, but the good news was I was at the right end of heart failure. I was at the good end of it. So if you could think of a scale of one to 10, I was at the one. So it wasn't that bad. It means I have to take a load of tablets all my life and manage myself. And, uh, you know, well, I can get tired at times. So if you see me falling asleep at a ground track, it's not cramming being lazy. It's just that's what it is. But thankfully, I, I seem okay. And what my consultant said was to um, advise me to take early retirement so that was in 2017 i think the racing post again were very good to me they, they looked after me they did me a deal and the best part of the deal was they gave me a part-time contract that allowed me to pick what i wanted to do and what a privilege that was and i again very very grateful and some of those things have changed since and I'm doing less now. Uh, again, I'm getting old. I'm an old boy now. And one of the scary things is, you know, the people I started with back in 19, well, at Hove in, well, I'm 50 years. I am into my 50th year since I started at Hove. I will I will be 50 years in the business working in ground racing in June next year. And because I started, I was 18 when I started at Hove. Uh, it means a lot of the people I started with, sadly, are dead. So I'm an old boy, and so I'm taking it a bit easier now. I also work, uh, a friend of mine uh, runs the IBAS, the Independent Betting Adjudication Service. And at the Racing Post, one of my roles was always to handle readers' letters. I mean, Sporting Life, you've, older listeners will remember the Sporting Life used to have the Green Seal Service, and that was the main route for punchers to send complaints into disputes that then evolved into IBAS eventually but the racing post used to get letters from readers and and obviously the paper would seek to answer it and the editor said to me Jim you know you seem to have a feel for the betting industry I've got involved with Betting Ship Manager of the Year and so I also used to answer any any readers letters that were disputes but these were relatively easy because because nearly all the letters were disputes went to IBAS automatically well, I was dealing with only a few, but IBAS—it's like an industrial um, amount. There's, there's hundreds of them. Anyway, because I was doing less and had some more time, I've uh, I've taken a role there. I love that. I've always enjoyed that side of it, dealing with uh, customers, punters, and helping if you can. Uh, it can be quite challenging at times because you, you come across quite emotional cases where things have gone wrong for customers, and they have often lost lots of money and it's it can be quite upsetting. But overall you, you do your best for where you can and you give it guidance where you can. And I've loved that. So I'm still doing that. And I'm still doing bits and bobs. I as I said I was at one more I covered that for the paper on Saturday and I was at the Derby lunch then on the Monday and I'll be at the Derby final uh, this Saturday. I want to say congratulations to all six finalists. They the Derby lunch the same at Toaster this year. The Derby lunch, whether it's the English Derby or the Irish Derby, is a wonderful moment. You've qualified for the the great, you know, one of the great races, and to take the time to step back and just look at what you've achieved. And that week is what the, is the week everyone in greyhound racing dreams of. And I can tell you, Shelbourne made it really special on Monday. They it was it was a great privilege to be there. The sponsors, of World Sports done the sport proud, Shelbourne have done the sport proud, the chairman of the Grand Racing Islands spoke and spoke brilliantly, and each set of connections came up, and the representative spoke, and Ian Fortune interviews them, and it was brilliant. As I say, I I, I loved that, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the final. Yeah, it's going to be
0: a sensational final, isn't it? It's—I mean, it always is. They, they make a big spectacle of the derbies, as they should. Both, you know, the English and the Irish Derby. I've not been to one yet, so I'm a bad greyhound uh, fan. I need to go to a derby at some point. But I'm very jealous of you this week because I know that you're having the best time over there and uh, covering the best racing. So, yeah, very jealous, Jim. I'm
2: very—I'm a very lucky boy. I always—I have been lucky. I've been lucky in the sense I've kind of coasted through life in, in many ways never had any great plan things have kind of fallen into my into my lap i've had some great guidance and training i was put on the right path by Peter Schotter. he was he was tough mm. and he, he put me on the right way and i've had some great support from people and colleagues the racing post team as i say now i'm also working with ibas and again my boss at ibas he's more than happy if there's any greyhound work that needs to be done he says, "Look, get, get on with it." Um, so that's Richard Taylor, and uh, again, a of thanks to him. He's, he's a he's a good man.
1: So, Jim, you, you know you're 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 a veteran. I hope you don't mind calling you that, but um, you've been in the veteran, game. he yeah. have <laughs> been in the game a very long time. And what what are the biggest changes you've seen in greyhound racing since you have started to to what it is now?
2: Well, I suppose the obvious thing would be to talk about the the track closures. But the biggest change, frankly, is that there's just too much racing. Tracks are racing too frequently. The business has lost sight of what grand Racing is about, and that's an entertainment for the public. And obviously, there is a service to be provided for betting shops, but for have, to have this long-standing... Well, it's now turned into a long-standing war between ARC and SIS has been disheartening in many ways. And some people are getting rich out of it, and... Some people think long may this this last, but I look at it and I look at the look, look at the field sizes now. How many races do you see with four runners in it?
0: I think I did a Romford card today, Jim, and not one of them was a six-runner race.
2: No. And it's it's sadly it's almost to get a graded race and sadly even when you see maiden. Open races, maidens, which are normally well oversubscribed, puppy races, normally well oversubscribed, sprints—they they can't fill a sprint. I mean, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. So, why is this happening? Well, is there, as ever with any problem, there's often a number of reasons, and there's too much racing going on. We have unnecessarily, and this is because the these these two organisations. Are unable to talk to each other, they're at war with each other, they've been in the high court, and the antipathy levels are there. But they've got to step back, they've got to say, Hang on, let's just, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And you know, greyhounds deserve better, and the public deserve better. When you see tracks not racing on a Saturday night, some tracks anyway because they're committed to pressing industry fixtures whenever they are. And you, you, you've got several meetings in the morning that you wouldn't normally have. I mean, how many meetings do we really need? So it, it's, there's a surfeit of racing. We also have a problem with retired greyhounds in the sense that there's a backlog. There's a blockage, what people call blockage in the kennels. There's a, a, a greyhounds waiting for homes. And we need to work harder at this, all of us. And I know Sporty Stuff TV, or as it's called, Racing Post Greyhound TV. They've got uh, got some new ideas, fresh ideas of how they can help. They're working on something. I, I don't know when that'll be confirmed. But in terms of helping communicate and sell, what highlights, what what are wonderful pets they greyhounds make. And you know, let, let's get the... During the Irish Derby, the, the, the last three rounds, the quarterfinal semis and final have been broadcast by Virgin Media 3. And they've included some great excerpts on there about retired greyhounds and what pets they make. But also broader about greyhound racing in the sense of what a great night out it is. And also, how it can again, reaffirming what it can do for charities. Again, they're, it's getting into the, back into the public domain what we're really about we all have to work harder at this and you know bookmakers you know why can't they put carry on their websites a, a link to to show what retired greyhounds are like and where you can get more information for it maybe they do but I, i'm not aware of it they don't. everybody SIS, let's let's SIS every time they put something on or uh, arc via you know their tv uh, service to betting shops um let's Let's tell how good a pet a retired greyhound is, because they're wonderful. If I was a bereavement counsellor, I would have a greyhound in my car with me if I was going around to see someone who just lost a partner and um, would be feeling absolutely sick and desolate. And I, could, I know a greyhound would, be, uh, would go some way to making a difference to that person. And but there's loads of ways we could, we could do better.
0: Fully, fully agree. Uh, fully agree. There's many things that we can do better. And um, yeah, you know, the little adverts that we could do, because we, we try and put an advert in our podcast for about retired greyhounds. And I think we we should do more of that, you know, on the mainstream channels as well. So yeah, maybe that is a thing for for anybody that's listening. If you want to put a retired greyhound advert together, pop it in your show. Um, because that is where we're, we're falling down a little bit as well, because I know I was speaking to, I have speaking to a few um, owners, trainers and they're saying, you know, they're trying to get new dogs in, but they can't because they have no space because the retired greyhounds are waiting to go to maybe the rehoming centers or their forever homes. And they just don't have the space to put racing greyhounds in there. So we've just got a whole backlog of a system that is going to, well, it's probably already reached crisis points at the moment. So yeah, we need to get the word out there for the retired greyhounds for sure. So uh, that's actually a good segue. If anybody wants to get in touch with us on the retired greyhound front and wants to uh, advertise their um, retired greyhound centre, then make sure you send myself or Joe a little message. We'll put all the links in the show notes and you can uh, send us a voice note. And you've probably heard them before if you're listening to uh, this podcast. And if you haven't, go back and check them out from the uh, beginning of January. But we we try and feature one in every one. Um, I know that we've had a couple where we haven't, but we've had a lot of, a lot of information to get out there. So uh, that will be starting again this week. So if you do want to get involved, make sure you ping us. Talking about um, taking greyhounds, obviously to you know maybe on a bereavement uh, side of things, or to care homes, or you know just to to make people have a little bit of joy in their life. Have you ever been an owner of a greyhound? you to know that they are absolutely wonderful creatures? I
2: have I, I, my, my uncle Gus sent me a little bitch called Kingdom Move, this is a long time ago now, I was working at home. I uh, raced her at Crayford, this is the old Crayford when it was a peach track I sent her to Paddy Coughlin who was training there at the time, she running. the I think it was A8 first race she needed track one she'd, she'd win, she won more than a fair share, share. she was very uh, you know, very genuine I loved it, I used to go every time she ran, and so I, I understood what it's like to be an owner. Eventually sold her for breeding, she was very well bred. Ownership means different things to different people. And for me, I always felt ownership was a way to escape from whatever job you have. When your job is ground racing, you're, you're actually looking for maybe something else. Also, if you're an official, was that at the time I was working at, at Hove, and then at Wembley obviously you can't own greyhounds at your own track so it was quite a commitment then to, to get to Craven every time to your own. So anyway I stepped back from ownership after that and I, I didn't get involved again until I was approached by, by some very influential people at Westminster who they seemed to think I knew what I was doing and uh, they, they talked me into finding a greyhound and I would be part of the syndicate and I think I think the syndicate included Lord Lipsy who was one of your guests recently.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: There was, you were know, several influential uh, MPs and whatever. And uh, so I did look around and I settled on this bitch who I just loved her. She had, again, the key to me to a great greyhound is balance. And I, she caught my eye. and I thought, wow, she's got it. So we bought her and she was named, renamed Division Bell and she went to Richard Reese, and he he did a good job with her, and uh, she won a couple of races, and then she went in that year's St. Ledger. I'm, I'm thinking, this is a, again a few years ago, I think this is around 2008-ish, and she actually went unbeaten in that year's St. Ledger. Now, she didn't win the St. Ledger, she went unbeaten because she got disqualified for fighting in the second round after having won the first round and the second round, red-carded, And uh, so I can say we did have an unbeaten ledger runner. I was gobsmacked and I've uh, stuck to writing about greyhounds ever since.
0: Have you ever had any retireds at home, Jim, that you've uh, not obviously owned and one might have taken your eye with the personalities? Because I know I want to take about 10 of them home every day.
2: I know exactly what you mean. And you know, when you're when you're a racing official, you 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 meet all the greyhounds, because certainly in those days anyway, you'd have to check their earmarks, and you'd, you'd get to know the greyhounds you know, very personally. Uh, but I think now everything is a bit more electronic. But um, I always remember, in, in, again, going back in the 70s, you know, Gunnar Smith had a, a dog called Mantovani, and I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Uh, he was such a... Character and a friendly dog, and uh, oh, it was, he was—he, I wanted him. The problem was, I've also always been a, a cat's man. Now, greyhounds and cats can live together. The problem was, was the cat was always in place first, so it's like I just couldn't see that it was fair on the cat to to bring a greyhound home. And uh, I, I was always—I've never forgotten him because I loved him. I always wondered what happened to him. But yeah, I've always had it cats, and I don't know why, but uh, there's something I've I, I enjoy. So
0: yeah, I've got a, I've not got a greyhound. I have a German Shepherd, as everybody knows, nicknamed the Wolf, and uh, she won't let me have a greyhound, and neither will the other half. Really, he's got more of a say. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not allowed one certainly at the moment. I am trying to talk him into it because I love them, but maybe in the future I'll I'll be able to get one. Uh, maybe we shall see, Joe.
1: Yeah, no, no, nothing else for me really. I've got one little question, Jim. If you will humor me, I just interested to know. You look, you're a racing manager back in the day. Again, what's changed, if anything, for the for the racing manager's role now compared to when when you were doing it? I'll put you on the spot there because it's not something we discussed. But uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about it. Is it is it any different at all? Is it you know do you need to be a different kind of racing manager? Um, just interested to know your thoughts. If you don't have any, feel free to say.
2: I, I do. I do. And I mean, I, for many years after I stopped being a racing manager, I, I just spent my life apologizing to people <laughs> for being uh, unbelievably. Uh, I was very straight down the line uh, and painfully honest. And I would say things afterwards, you'd think. God, Jim, what what made you do that? You know, Jesus, you know, you you'd you'd be, but the big change again. I've already sort of touched on this. Is when I was a racing manager, Wembley, we had two, perhaps three meetings a week, and you were able to watch every trial, every race intimately. Again, you you knew your dogs inside out, and you you'd, you'd have time to go down the 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 kennels and go to the trainers and talk through any problems they had and how they saw things. And you know, again, you, you took time, your time to think, time to plan. And you look at tracks today, the amount of meetings they have and trial sessions. How, how does any racing manager manage to watch all that rot uh, and then compile the, all that racing? It's it's a huge task, and yeah, you know, I would imagine there's some job sharing goes on as well. So it's a, it's a different. The business is much more intense. Producing showcase racing, exciting racing, is just as important for the betting shop market as it is for the people going greyhound racing to to a track. But you loved putting on a stage, the the the, the, the grey finish, three, four, or five greyhounds involved going over the line together, and the crowd cheering and if you've got a crowd of two people it isn't quite the same thing
0: is it no no it's not quite the same Thankfully, it's two people <laughs> i mean on on monday at nottingham there was a big big crowd and it was great to see i know it was bank holiday monday but it's still a monday night before you go to work on tuesday most people and it was fantastic you know there was kids there families there loads of people loads of dog people were there loads of big trainers obviously were there as well it was just it was a phenomenal yeah. night, and we do need to do more of that, I think, as well. Um, oh, and just... I agree. And,
2: and Jennings, the sponsors, they, they brought mm. a lot of people there too. And again, they're good sponsors that are very committed. And you know, it was great, great racing. And and again, you know, to have a, an event like to have a race like Space Jets Race, everyone went home talking about that.
0: Yeah, I was buzzing. I couldn't sleep in the night, <laughs> and you know, I was just, I was so excited to see it, and she was the bitch that I've said, you know, and the dog, well, just the greyhound that I wanted to see this year. I told, I've told everyone that was my aim and it's been ticked off and she was absolutely sensational. And I got to meet her afterwards as well. And she's, I mean, you just don't get that from the TV. So I would implore anybody that thinks, you know, I do like greyhound racing, get to a track, because there is nothing like watching them. Nothing in this world like watching our supreme athletes running around, and ugh, just it's just unbelievable. I, I can't really put it into words very well. I should be able to, but I'm very tired today, so <laughs> I just love it. I think it's fantastic. I
2: I, I could I couldn't agree more. And it, it's you can see everything yourself. You can form your own opinions. You can listen to other people. Uh, it's a great night out. one, one of the great things. I noticed at Monmore on Saturday, uh, it was a, a, a 90th birthday party. You, you have great grandparents, grandparents, children, babies, it's all sorts going to the track. It's a great family night out and it's, it's priceless. It, it, it's, it's somewhere where people go and it's safe. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, great racing and, and we're, we're with a, a, a great animal. And, of course, one of our problems is we face an awful lot of criticism from people who think they care more about greyhounds than we do. Well, I can assure you they don't.
0: They absolutely do not. They don't know the first thing about greyhounds mostly, and mostly they misidentify them anyway. So, yes, uh, less said about those people, the better. But, yeah, I uh, just get down to a local track, everybody. Get down to any track. Just go for it and go and have a look because it's absolutely sensational. Um, Jim, I think we're going to have to have you on again, because I'm sure there's plenty more that you can tell us (laughs) over your career. But we have run out of time for this week's podcast. And I have to say, it's been a fascinating conversation. So thank you very much for your time. We are thrilled to have you on, because I know that you've been a supporter of the podcast and we couldn't be more thrilled to have you here. So thank you very much indeed.
2: Danny and Joe, you're you're very patient. You're, uh, uh, Steve Nash, who you've had on before, he told me that you would look after me, and my goodness, you've done your best. <laughs> I, I know I'm, I can, uh, I'm, I'm quite a, a tricky uh, person. I'm, I'm not I'm not very uh, uh, good at uh, this type of thing, but you've made it easy for me, and I've enjoyed it. And uh, your podcasts are superb. I might this might be, you know, maybe not one of the great ones, but thank you anyway.
1: Jim, it's been a pleasure having you on and this is a great one. I've really enjoyed listening to your stories, your career, you know, everything that you've seen and heard in greyhound racing is brilliant and I think everyone's going to love this interview. So uh, thanks so much for joining us, really appreciate it. And enjoy the action in Ireland this weekend.
2: I can't wait, actually. I'm also on Friday night's the Juvenile Derby. Uh, I'll be there for that and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's some spectacular racing. Again, you, you, I'm very lucky, and uh, um, I'm grateful to I'm grateful to Greyhound Racing for everything it's given me.
0: Well, what a fab interview with Jim Cramming! I hope you enjoyed it as much as Joe and I enjoyed chatting to Jim. And thank you for giving up your time. And we're going to dive into the betting segment of the show. A little bit different this week because we're just going all Irish. Of course, it's the big, big night on Saturday. So we thought what or who better to get on the podcast than the friend of the show, Mr Barry Cole? Barry, how are you today?
4: I'm very well indeed. A pleasure. That's a lovely introduction. A pleasure to be involved. And uh, hopefully we can get maybe one winner for the listeners. Um, I definitely have one, although the the sad thing is there are 12 races. So it could mean 11 losers. But no, um, (laughs) no. We'll do our best. It's a cracking cracking card. It really is. Um races overall, distances from sprints up to seven fifty. Um the last race on the card we'll touch on later, like what a race that is. The Ball the bowl Ed, Zgaglietti, Gay Time Nemo. And like that's and this is all the supporting cards, so it's it's um it's a terrific nice racing to look forward to.
0: Certainly is. Can't wait to watch the action on Saturday. We're going to kick off with the 2023 Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby final. We've got Trap One, Well Met, Two The Other Kobe, Three Ben's Teddy, Four, Three, Six, Five, Five Bocco's Crystal, and Six Music Glide Away. So, who are you with, Barry, in this absolute stellar lineup?
4: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You give me this big build-up about he's gonna know everything. I really, really can't have a bet in it. I, I know it's it. It's sad to say, but look, I'll just give you a rundown on the finalists, and it's it's one of these. You know, you say it every so often. You can make a case for them all. Look, three six five will need luck to win us. Um, she really will. But starting with the top dog, well missed. Um, seen him run the last couple of times. He's very, very gutsy when he's out in front. You've seen him in. I think it was round three when Bob Slade Dream joined them at the third bend and he battled back and he only went down by a head. He's a real, real game sort. Um, It's funny enough, his brother made it to the final of the Derby back in 2019. A dog called Arrow Surprise for Same Connections and was unfortunately withdrawn on the week of the final. So the 2019 Derby final was a five-dog race um, so Arrow Surprise never got the run on it. So it's it's good to see them back in the final again. So hopefully for John Jones, they can make it uh, there on Saturday night. But um, He's he's um, a Shelburne regular. He's always there, thereabouts, and Saturday nights in the Opens. And look, I wouldn't say there's many people had anti post dockets on someone to make it to the final, but he's so, so game. He's so genuine. And um, look, he could be a torn in, in the other Kobe side because he can go up strongly. If you look at the sections on the card, even the ones you have on the card there, he's always in around the 340s. Uh, 351 is his worst, but the rest of them are between 341 and 351 on his card there in the last five runs. So he's ultra consistent going up to the corner and he has a perfect draw in, in, in red. You know, Kobe's currently around the 2-1 to favourite, Danny, and look, if he reproduces what he's done the last two weeks, he's going to be very, very hard to beat. In the quarterfinal, 29.15 he clocked, um, I was talking to a couple of people who who clock watch around Shelburne Park, and they all have their different sectionals, and everyone has told me that he's, he was, the okay, officially he's the fastest to the line, but unofficially he's fastest to the sprint box, he's fastest to halfway, he's fastest to the third bend, so... If he can reproduce that run from the 19th of August, he will be impossible to beat because 29-15, joint fastest of the year or off the derby with the la da Ben's Teddy, look, on the face of it, you think it's not an ideal draw, but with two early speedsters on his inside, if he can just slip in behind them, he'll be flying home as well. He worked a remarkable race to qualify last week. He looked as though he's going to go out when Kulavanninghoff will cut him off. And when you look at the line of form, he's only beaten three quarters of a length to win the race. Um, so he has a massive, massive chance. The bitch in four, it's a great story, Three six five. 6 uh, the points behind us, you're gonna get, this is um, Scott Feeling's first year as a trainer, Um, you know, he very emotional last week in his interview with Rob, um, this bitch, she won a round of the Oaks, she flashed out and done 28-33, um, she had to be withdrawn from that, and then she went to the Concu Holland where she got to the semi-final, I think she was outright favourite to win that, Um, and it just didn't go her way, she split a web then uh, on her comeback, and it was just the last minute decision to put her into the derby, and Look what a decision it's been. The thing about her she's capable of flying out. Now she, she hasn't got the early pace like Ben's Teddy, but look, she's got four more of her six bends. She will be flying home. It'd be great for Scott and, and Keira Bourne if, if they were to pull it off. Look, she is the one in the final that needs luck. The one I will be having a small bet on is Bacchus Crystal in five. When the draw is first made, you think an inside seed trap five, that's a disaster of a draw. But the more you look at it, three and four really do lack early pace. They really do. And this bitch, she's had five runs back since her season seasonal break. And those five runs were all runs in the derby. Her first run back, she bet Bob Slade Dream. She was tying up badly. The second, In the second round, she was very lucky to qualify. Very lucky to qualify. I think she held on by a short head. We've seen her then be cool of Annie Hoffa. That was a stunning run. She can fly out this bit. She really can. You see a couple of 344s on her card. And the, there is the possibility that the inside two could come together. So I'll be having a small bet on Baco's Crystal at the weekend. Um, I think she's got she's good value there. And music lighted by them for Patrick Lofoyle. Another similar to the other Kobe. If he reproduces what he'd done last week, it'll be very, very hard to beat. Perfect draw. Out in trap six as a sole wide seed, he was uh flashing out over 575 early on in his career. And the first couple of runs in the, in the derby, he was missing the break. But um, last week he showed what he could do when he, he flashed out made all 29 the fastest of the semi final. So look, it's a cracking final, you genuinely can make a case for them all. Okay, 365 will need a bit of luck, but she will be finishing fastest of all. But um, for Forrest to have a bet, I'll be siding with Bocco's Crystal.
0: Bocco's Crystal, then, is a small bet for Barry Joe.
4: Yeah, I mean
1: it was great, isn't it? It was a big upset in the semi-final with Coolavani, Hoffa, Diladidar going out. It's not it's probably not the final we all expected, but I cannot wait to watch it. You know, six deserving finalists. The one I was going to mention, Barry, who got knocked out in the semi-final, who's really impressed me in the, with the Derby campaign is Clonroos Sydney. Uh, you know, not not that familiar with him, but he's really he's really impressed me this campaign. He really has.
4: Yeah, he's he's a dog who's all a Shelburne form. Has been in the Derby. I don't think he had a spin prior to prior to the um, the Derby itself. He still only had nine starts. I think that dog. Uh, he runs later on or earlier on in the card. I think in the in the consolation final for trainer Matthew Hart. Um, yeah, I was speaking to a couple of trainers and they said they have seen this dog do stuff down in Kilkenny as uh, as a pup that dogs shouldn't be doing. Like he's absolutely an absolute aeroplane. And um, he was very good in the quarter final when he just got up to beat Well Met. But um, his race was over after ten yards last week, wasn't it? On trap yeah. five and he came in on Trinity Junior to two of them. Done each other no favors. Um, interestingly enough, Trinity Juniors on his left again uh, this Saturday night. But we'll talk about that later on. But uh, yeah, definitely a dog with a big future, a big boy as well, hitting the scales at around about eighty pounds. So yeah, he's definitely one with a big future.
0: Joe, who would you be having a little cheeky bet on on Saturday?
1: I haven't got a strong opinion on it. Um, the other Kobe was was really impressive last week. I think. I'll just take, you know, Barry's the, Barry's the judge here. So, you know, Bocco's crystal currently trading at six to one. I'd probably just take take his advice. I mean, they're all in with a shout, aren't they? So, you know, if you're backing something seven to four, two to one, when it's an open race, it's probably not not the wisest choice unless you're on post already and then happy days and you can watch and enjoy it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to leave this to the
4: judge. I, I think what you say there, Joe, is a good point because we've 12 races on the cards. On Saturday night, and okay, the other Kobe, he's a deserving favorite on his last two runs, but I think it would be better two to one shots on the night, if you know what I mean. It's um, it's a final I can't really find that much value in because there's so many ifs and buts. There really is, but uh, I think it would be look. He's a deserving favorite. He'd be a deserving winner. It'd be great, I suppose, history brothers winning the back to back. Um, so look, there's a great story there, but um, yeah, two to one, it's plenty short enough.
0: It certainly is. I mean, I think I'd be doing like a combi tricast, like I like to do, and I'd be going the other Kobe. Music Glideaway was the one I thought could run a massive race because he's got the draw on the outside if everybody else moves in. And then just because Barry says he fancies Bocco's crystal is having a cheeky bet, then she is in as well. So those would be my three because I always have a Combi tricast on the Derby finals because I just, well, I just do. I quite enjoy it. So two, five and six, the other Kobe, Bocco's crystal and Music Glideaway would be for me. Right, Joe. should we go to the start of the card?
1: So we kick off the card at 7.20. We, one, we've got Raffdown Molly, two, Droopies Elsa, uh, three, Ballymax Sona, and then in four, Breeders Wood, five, Fire Time, and in six, Press Unlock. Barry, how are we kicking off the card? Is this your uh, super
4: mega nap? No, that will come a little bit later on. Um, yeah, Bitches race to kick off the card. Good quality contest. This a uh, little bit difficult to assess. A couple of them are coming back from uh, seasonal breaks or or, or or some sort of layoff, as you'll see with uh, Droopies Elsa. In Trap 2, only coming back there recently, she hasn't had a race since the 11th of June. And similar with Bally Maxona, hasn't had a race in quite a while. Well, OK, a comeback's been uh, last week, but they'll probably need another run or two. Um, the obvious starting point is Ratdale Molly in Trap 1. She was a finalist in the recent Bar 1 sprint down at Dundalk. A really, really high-quality um, contest. That I think she might have even went off favourite um, to win that. She would no look in the final uh, when fluffing her lines. But in the quarterfinal and final she was sensational. Uh, breaking 21 seconds twice, and like that's that's some going to break 21 seconds for a 400 down and doc. She arrived back at Shelburne last Saturday night. Very very skinny odds went off at two to seven, I think. And um, didn't take her usual flying start. No, although she still did lead. She was just caught in the final strides by um, Ballymac Whisper in 2887. Now look on the clock, you will think she will need to improve, but she has got 2827 around there in the past. Perfectly drawn in red, she was just collared in the final of the. Um, Easter Cup around there at the start of the year. I think it was Bogger Hunter might have just better than that. Um, so she's a high-class bitch. Um, of the remainder, obviously, Press Unlock. She's from that amazing Pastana Unlock Unlock Litter. Uh, she ran in the plate semi-final last week when she finished behind the Beepers Lariat. She's no luck um, in the early part of the competition. But an interesting one might be fire time in there for Ian Riley. Uh, won a good race in Dundalk. I think it was on the final of the, the final of the bar one night down there. And she came from behind to beat a dog called Be My Standard. A good dog belongs to Ollie Bray, who runs in the sprint uh, on the card later on. So that was an impressive run when clocking 28, 33. But um, look, Rat Down Molly is the obvious one, as I say. Um, probably will need to improve on the clock and what she done last week. But uh, I'd be avoiding her at short odds now. But I think she, like, she's a real regular in there, a bit of a favourite in there. So she could go off around a bit of even money, something ridiculous like that. And uh, if she does, I'd be siding with fire time. But uh, again, it's not a race I'd be getting really stuck into.
3: So,
0: just have a look at the odds on Saturday then. Uh, see what price Rathdown Molly is uh, for the first race of the day. The second coming up sees one Strike It Sid, two Boyle Sports Gift, three Lotto Other News, four Deadly Showtime, five Optic Chico, and six Sonia in Grandes. So, Barry, give your thoughts on this.
4: Yeah, it shows the quality of the card on Saturday night when this is put in as, as race two. You know, most Saturday nights, this will be. <laughs> This will be put in as the last race on the card. A cracking contest, good prize money all the way through the card. I think every race is worth €2,000 Euros at least, apart from the big ones. Obviously, they're worth a, an awful lot more. But um, yeah, high-class uh, contest. This lot of other news was a good winner last week. Um, he won the last race on the card when he made all 28.55, beating a nice dog of Graham Holland called Riverside Pingu. Um, the track has been getting noticeably slower as the events have gone on uh, recently. So that 28.55 can be marked up a little bit. He's a wide-margin winner of that. Optic Chico, look, he's a bit of a talking dog, isn't he? He's gone off quite short the last couple of occasions. But for me, he just lacks that yard of early pace. Again, that was evident last week. Okay, he was bumped a little bit at the start. But even when he's not bumped at the start, for me, he just lacks that yard going into the bend from, from, say, the last 50 yards or so into the bend. And against good quality opposition like this, he can't afford to give them uh, too much rope. The one I'll be siding with here in this one, Danny, would be deadly showtime. A dog for uh, Carol Ramsbottom. Very, very good when he gets things right. A little bit unlucky last week. He does crave the rails, but i a lot of other news made it all last week. I don't think there's an awful lot of early pace uh, around him on Saturday night. Um, I think he can get to the defense. If he does get to the defense, he's very, very hard to pass. I think he's winning the form over 575 as well. So he's strong enough when he's off the front. He should easily lead up Optic Chico. And I think he should lead up a lot of other news as well. Uh, a lot of other news changing traps now. 55 last week, 550 this week. chance he might just miss it. And I think he'd have more early pace than the inside. you So strike could see it on Boyle Sports. Uh, gift. Sonny and Grande for Jack Ellie out in trap six. He looks as though he's going to be a bit of a superstar in one of the earlier rounds of the derby when he made all in twenty nine sixty six, but hasn't showed any sort of early pace like that since. Um, he's been a little bit disappointed, I suppose, since then. But look, it's hard to show all sorts of pace when you're running in the company. He has been running against, you can see his last few lines of form. His line of form there behind Clona Duke, who was so good on Monday night. But um, I will be with Deadly Showtime. I think he's a chance to get to the front. And when he does, he's a different dog.
1: Moving on, another great race. I mean, it's one after the other. The seven fifty nine track one, we got Barefoot Supremo two, Gaytime Hugo three, recent Nottingham winner Bob Slate Dream, and then in four, Millridge Bryce five, Ballymac Whisper, and then yet another Pestana Unlock and Lock <laughs> offspring in Undulation in six. What do you reckon? This is this is a good race.
4: Yeah, just on the Pestana Unlock and Locks. Um, the, she's a new litter now by Grange Ten, who look quite promising. So they're certainly worth uh, keeping an eye on uh, in the re or in the coming. Months, but yeah, cracking contest. This barefoot supremo ran in a. It was a sort of a low grade, whatever. I don't know how he managed to get himself in this sort of a grade. He got himself into a D two, um, competition over six bends. There he was. Um, he was beaten favor in the final, but lucky he, he lost all chance at the start and was badly balked at the fourth bend. I still don't think seven fifty is a trip. I think six hundred is more of his trip because in the semi final of that seven fifty, he was a long, long way clear. He must have been eight ten ten then. Slayer just passed off by one by three. So I think six hundred. Um, would be his trip. I think there's some classier opposition in against him here tonight than he has been running against, so I think he may struggle. Time Hugo was a tricky one. Um, before the Derby, he clocked 29-26 in a win in there, which was, I think it was the, the fastest time of the year prior to the Derby, and he looked really, really good. I know a lot of people fancied him. You can see his SPs the last couple of occasions. He's gone off quite short, but he's been expensive to follow. Um, he's a tricky one to get your head around. The only thing is, he's got a great draw there in trap two. He should easily lead up barefoot supremo. He should lead up Bobsleigh Dream. Look, Bob Slay Dream was very good at Nottingham on Monday night. Uh, made a bit of trouble at the fourth bend, came storming through to win, to just get up on the line. Um, look, we all know what Bob Slay Dream is like. She's a classy bitch. She's won 24 or 50 starts, so she's very hard to oppose. Um, Millridge, Bryce. You might remember Millridge, Bryce, is the dog who gave Ballon of Ola Ed that fright in the Labruxig, or Labruxig, Racing Post Greyhound TV 600 um, that was live on the channel a couple of months ago. He led into the fourth bend uh, Ballon the Ball uh, just headed him for pace down the back straight and he was rallying again. So he's a really likeable sort. Millridge Price ran well in a couple of rounds of the derby. But um, look, he's shown he's got really strong form over 600, the best of 32.56. If he can crack away, he's um, he's not without a chance. Then the bitch in trap five, Ballymac Whisper. She's the one that just got up to beat Ratdale Molly last week. 600 would be much more suited to her than the 5 she ran in the previous week. So she'd have to have a chance as well. Obviously, the draw is not ideal out in five. And you have Undulation out in Trap 6. Look, she ran so well in a couple of rounds of the English Derby, didn't she? And she came back over here. She caught 29.53 when winning in one of the earlier rounds. Probably a little bit unlucky to go out uh, a few weeks ago. And I think this sort of a trip could suit her. There's not a lot of early pace in this race. Uh, I think the two likeliest leaders would be two to uh, Gaytime Hugo or Six Undulation. But do you know what? I'll just side with Gaytime Hugo on this. He's seen an awful lot of support um, in recent weeks. So they obviously think a lot of them down in Graham Holland's place. Um look, if he can go back and do something like that 2926 run for five fifty, that was only in July. Surely that will take a lot of beating. Not a lot of early pace around with Barefoot Supremo on his left and Bob Slay Dream on his right. So he could just get to the front. And as I'm as I keep on saying recently, these Greyhounds, once they're out in front, are completely different animals. So look, we've seen in the context of the Derby how good of a run twenty nine twenty six is. And if, if he were to get in front, um, even if the mighty Bob Slater Dream turns close enough, it it would be uh, it'd be pretty hard to pick him up.
0: Okay, time, Hugo, for the 7.59 in Trap 2. What about the 8.14? Well, we've got one Kilgrainy Blake, two Corbrack Prince, three Blackstone Bobby, four Chelm Skippy, five Road Exile, and six Stefan's Joker. We're sprinting here, Barry.
4: Yeah, there's um, a lot of form here from the Dundalk International. Um, Blackstone Bobby went deep in that, Chelm Skippy and Road Exile. Chelm Skippy and Road Exile both ran in 5 to 5 contests in Shelburne Park. There recently, Road Exile won in 28.57, Skippy absolutely walked out uh, for a dog with sprinting pace, clocked to 2.28 sectional. Now, we did show massive pace to get into second place behind a lot of other news at the third bend and then faded on the run for home. Amazingly, he's at 11 wins without a winning start. So he's going to be, I used to call uh, Pablo Escobar the fastest maiden in training until he, he started getting his career back on track. But um, Skippy now has to be the fastest maiden in training. 11 wins, 11 races, no wins. And he's clocked twenty one oh eight for the four hundred, like that's that's sensational running. Um, Carback Prince, look, he's been around a long time. He's in March nineteen. Well, now won almost twelve thousand euros in prize money for Paul Allen and Rob Gleeson. He's been put back over four bends there recently. Just doesn't quite see that out at the top level, and I just don't think he's the dog he once was. Major struggle in this, but look, he's he's done connections proud. But Granny Blake is another one. He's up in class. He's a good winner in there of an S one about two weeks ago of a Thursday night but um, This is a big, big step up in class for him. Blackstone Bobby for Michael O'Donovan, really classy sort on his day. He's a 21-36 win around Dundalk there, not so uh, recently enough. And he's also clocked 1865 for this trip, albeit down in Limerick. But I think the two to concentrate on are Cham Stippy uh, and Road Exile. Road Exile for Pat Buckley. Uh, He clocked 2084 down Dundalk. I think that may have been the fastest run of the competition. So if he can repeat anything like that, he'd be hard to beat. The only thing you'd have in your mind is I wouldn't be a big fan of dogs returning from 5-5 to, to sprints. I mean, you look at the, uh, the, the, some of the, the top ones in the market here. Carback Prince is coming back from 5-5 and as to our champ Skippy and Road Exile. But um, yeah, I probably just saw with Road Exile to win it for Pat Buckley.
1: Good stuff, Barry. And then we we step up to Sixpence for the eight um We've got Trap 1 Hookum. 2, Droop is Nice One, 3, Hanover Phantom, 4, McNeil, 5, Ballymac Katie and 6, Jack Tavernbella. Bella. Once again, I'm going to keep saying it, but this is an absolutely cracking race as well.
4: Yeah, it's one of the races of the night. It really is. Um, and you throw in Droopy's Nice One, who's never been over six bends before. Look, she was a, a derby finalist last year. She was sensational last week over 5.75, um, clock 30.94, went about three lengths. That was as good as a run, as you'll see, over that trip for a long, long time. Very very pacey bitch indeed. Like you have to remember, she was a she was only a September twenty last year when she got to the final of the Derby. So, um, very interesting to see what she can do over seven hundred and fifty yards. Look against this quality of opposition, she probably would have to lead to be seen at her best because she's not going to come from behind some of these really strong ones. Who come in trap one for Adam Dunford? He's well drawn. Again, you'd like to see him uh, come out in front. He, he ran behind Droopy's Nice one in that five seven five last week. But for some reason, trap one in Shelburne Park in the 575 was very, very hard uh, to break from. So you'd forgive him that run. He was well fancied behind Droopy's Nice from the last time. She went off even money. He was two to one second favourite. So don't worry him off. He has clocked 28 seconds for 525 down in Clonmel. Really, really fast dog for um, Adam Dunford. Hanover Phantom's a dog I'd like to back him to win the Cornfield Hunting at massive prices. He finished second. Um, had a few quitting him again on Saturday night in Shelburne Park as well. So good to see him get his head back in front. Forty-one fifty-eight. He had a few of these in behind him on that occasion. Um, notably Bally MacCady. Now, look, Bally Mckatie was undoubtedly unlucky. She was held up on more than one occasion and into the fifth bend as it is. Um, she if she had got through clean there, she probably just would have picked him up. So um, she'll be the one. I'll, I'll probably be siding with um, Bally MacCady just on last week's run. As I say, Hannah Phantom done everything right. Bally MacCady, she met trouble on more than one occasion and she still only went down by two lengths. McNeil, look, he's a decent dog. He went well in the English Greyhound Derby. Not sure uh, 750 is his trip on Jack Bella Just not running as well as she has been. She was beaten in the match race here um, a couple of weeks ago. She didn't run great over at Toaster on Monday night and back here again. It's It's been a hard season for Jack Tavernbella if you ask me. She went a long way in the English Derby. She stayed over there for the the, the long distance race in Derby final. Like, she's been back here running plenty. She's been in Nottingham the weekend and back here tonight. So, Look, she's had a hard season, but she's been an incredible bit. She's 16 wins. But um, I've just sided with Bally Katie. But look, it's it's very, very interesting to see how Droopy's Nice One gets on first time over the trip.
0: So Ballymack Katie just about siding with her, but Droopy's Nice One. Fascinating stepping up in trip to the 750. We then go for the 8.50, which sees Trap One, Hawkfield Blue, two Bonkers in Yonkers, three Capitan Garfio, four Debold Freddy, five Foggy Bottom and six Rural Taylor. Way going, Barry.
4: Well, we've got to start with the ball, Freddie, don't we, Craig Day? I'm sure he's coming He's coming over for Saturday night, but he could not have been handed a worse draw. He really could not. Um, the key to the race is Foggy Bottom. Foggy Bottom absolutely loves the rails. I think he's a brother of, um, well, mess but um, this fella, he will die for the rails. He'd done us on the uh, 19th of August, quickly away, and went straight to his inside. And unfortunately for Craig, Freddie will really need to be on his toes to avoid him. Um, it's a horrible draw for the ball, Freddy. Capitan Garfio is a dog with a great strike rate. Um, he's only a small enough dog, 65 pounds, but he's 14 wins from his 29 starts. Again, he was a good winner over the distance last week and making all in 29.86. He goes up strongly. Um, the one I'm going to side with in this race is Hawkfield Blue. He's a dog I had a few quid on to win the derby. Didn't quite happen for him, but he's, a, he's only a July 21, only had the 14 races. He's won five of them. He got to a champion stakes final. He's got lots and lots of early pace. Um, I think he's far enough away from Foggy Bottom to avoid the uh, possible early trouble on the run to the corner. But you've got to take a look at Royal Taylor as well. He's probably the best drawn dog on the card. Um, recent run in Cork wasn't too bad. Uh, clocking twenty eight sixty three in defeat. But yeah, if he can if he can come out in some of his best fashion, Royal T- Taylor, he'd have a big chance. But um, I will side with uh, Hawkfield Blue. It was a good uh, sprint run there. He was off the card for a while. Um, eighteen sixty eight. That's that's not a bad sprint run at all. But I think it's between the top and bottom because, as I say, I think Foggy Bottom will be heading straight left as soon as the trap's open. So I can see trouble for the ball, Freddie. But uh, yeah, Hockfield Blue in uh, race number six for me then.
1: And then moving on, we've got the Appetiser to the Irish Ground Derby final, the consolation race, Barry. Um, Milridge Levi in one, Trinity Junior two, Clonroo Sydney in three, uh, Dormanta, Dano in four, Cool of Annie Hoffer five, and Thomas Hewick in six. What do you reckon?
4: got to be with the Hoffa, don't you? You've got to be with Hoffa. But um, <laughs> look, I'm sure the bookmakers will be taking him on. There's a, look, a lot of people have been telling me for the last two weeks he's finished, he's this and that. I still don't believe he's finished. I really don't. I thought he missed the kick last week and still went up really strongly. Got himself into third place around the bottom bend. And unfortunately, he just had Ben Steady coming behind him. Like, you think how unlucky this dog has been. He's been the talking dog in Ireland for the last 18 months. Last year, coming off the last bend, for qualification purposes for the Derby final, he had Crafty come coming from behind him. No chance you're going to hold her. And then this year he comes off the last bend in the Derby semi final and tore it again. And he's Ben's Teddy coming from behind him. You know he's just been he's just had the wrong dog come from behind him, and he's finished fourth on both occasions in the Derby semi final. Like it's heartbreaking. I'd say to finish fourth in the Derby, Derby semi once, but to do it two years in a row like it's it's the worst position to finish. Personally, I think he breaks better from trap five. He should have the pace of Dramana up to the bend. Condu Sydney could be heading in again on top of Trinity Junior. We've seen those two drawn in four and five last week. They're two and three again. Maybe Sydney won't dive uh, as dramatically in from trap three. Uh, Tommy Shewick deserves a mention. Shark Harlan's involved in that syndicate, the horse that bought a dog syndicate. uh, He's given them lots and lots of fun. I remember commentating in there on him not so long ago. He's running an A2 competition. He's steadily climbed the grades. Um he's got a good drive in six. Can't see him leading half a though and, and he may struggle. Um Trinity Jr. we must mention Champion Stakes winner. Um he think he was as short as eight to one to win the Derby out like prior to last week because he looked sure to qualify from that heat. But uh Conroe Sydney had other had other ideas and he got no run whatsoever, beating and length. So he's very capable of going up strongly on his day. Millridge Levi is a decent dog, probably lacks a yard of early pace, but has a decent draw, although I imagine Trinity Jr. will take his ground early. But um Look, I don't know, but I think this could be Hoffa's last run. Um, I know he proved fairly popular at Stud, and I'm sure he'll be going back there again after this race. So I'm hoping uh, he can come out with a bang, and I fully expect him to do so.
0: Okay, so the talking dog, Kulivani Hoffa in 5 for the Derby consolation. Obviously, we've talked Derby, so we're going to go straight on to the Michael Fortune Memorial Derby Plate Final, 9-48. one is Ballon Una, two Pied Piper, three Ballymac Pete, four Beepers Lariat, five neon lights and six blast off. Mac, this is another cracking contest, Barry.
4: This is the nap of the night, Danny. This is, yeah, this is the wheelbarrow full and empty it all out in front of Ted Hegarty and hoping (laughs) I'll be going back to collect. Um, Beepers Larry for me, um, I think he, I thought he was sensational last week from trap one. He absolutely walked out. I had a few quid in him at 11 to four and he walked out and it was one of those, you start to close your eyes after two yards, but the early pace he displayed to get up the inside was phenomenal. Uh, well, worth having a look back at that race if you can. He was last from traps and he somehow manages to lead a good quality field on the run to the corner. Um, he stayed on well last week. He was, previous week, sorry, he was passed down the back straight by Blastoff Mac, but in fairness to him, he did run on again. Um, he just let Blastoff Mac up his inside on that occasion, but he wasn't letting anything get near him last weekend. And if you ask me, I think Ian Fortune said it in commentary. Uh, Blastoff Mac was chasing him again, and Ian says, Blastoff Mac, this fella stays strongly, but. Look, Beeper's Lariat went further and further away from me, and even into the pickup, he was still three or four lengths clear. He is an inside seed. You look and you think trap four is not ideal. Ballymac Peace, despite the name, she is a bitch. She mm-hmm. goes up really, really strongly, and she will edge ever so slightly to the rail. So I think all Beeper's Lariat needs is room. Uh, there's a serious lack of early pace in this contest, barring the middle runners. on the bowl of Una, um, myself and Ian tipped her up last week. We thought she was going to get a lovely toe into the race. It just worked out perfectly for her last week. She came out as well as she has been doing and got a lovely run. Blocking like twenty nine sixty one. Her future definitely lies over further. She's only December twenty-one. She's five wins from eleven. But I just don't think the race will play out as well for uh, on Saturday night. The rest of them are all sort of strong types. I'd say six hundred will suit them. The likes of Pied Piper for Morris Heffernan, Neon Lights for Alan Bourne and Blast Off Mac. They, they they all look as though um, they'd be suited by a little bit further. So I think um, if Beeper's Lariat can turn on the shoulder of Ballymac Pete or even a length behind it, he'll have too much pace for it down the back straight. And he clocked 29.50 last week after missing the break. Uh, there's definitely a big, big run in this dog. Like you've seen, he, he went over to Toaster for the English Derby. He's got plenty of pace when he does things right. And I think all he has to do is trap level um, and collect the money. So that is the nap on Saturday night, Beeper's Lariat.
1: There you go. Get Get to the cash point get down to Shelburne for Barry's mega nap, Beeper's a Lariat. And then you can reinvest your winnings if you so wish in the 10-02. We've got another holiday in trap one, Halo trap two, Ballymac run in three, Carrick Fergie in four, Pappy Oro in five, and Clogheen Lass in six. Barry, what are we investing said winnings in here?
4: Well, if, if Beeper's Lariat's bet on going home, um, no, this is this is another cracking race, as you say, Joe. Lots of early pace on the inside. Um, Halo and Two for Matthew Hart was good in a couple of earlier rounds of the Derby. Um, showing stunning early pace. Another holiday was the fastest of the first round heat winners. I believe he clocked twenty nine twenty three, and he was the fastest of the entire first round. Um, he actually ran a cracker to qualify. Then behind undisputed, the following week things didn't go his way. But then he had a horrible draw when he was knocked out behind the laddie. that as an inside seed. he was drawn in trap five, and he went out. Look, incredibly fast on his day. He has clocked 28.10 for this sort of a distance. Um, yeah, he's hard to oppose for me. The bitch in three, Ballymac run. She stays on really, really well. I don't think she'll have the early pace of the top two. Carrick Fergie's another dog with plenty of ability, but look, I think this is just a step too far for a dog of his experience. He only has only has the five runs. Papa Dioro was running well recently as well. Just his trapping is just a little bit of a cause for concern. He definitely has plenty of early pace. Once he hits the ground running, he really does. But um, yeah, switching back to the five two five to might not be ideal. And the bitch out in six, uh, Clawhane last. She's won plenty. She's won over eighteen thousand euro in prize money for Graham Holland, seventeen times a scorer. Good winner in there two weeks back when she got the better of Corback Prince late in twenty eight fifty. 50 that was a good run. But although again, this is an open race. I think it's a, a another little step up as regards open races. So um, I'll be with another holiday. Can't see him being a big price. I'd say if you are to get even money six to four. That'll be a, a, about as good as you get, but um, yeah, he should oblige in the uh, tenth race.
0: Another holiday in trap one for the tenth race. Then we get to the penultimate, the ten sixteen, which sees one sober glory, two glory baz, three clona duke, four mr chelm, five anna bailey, and six new in port. And I was lucky enough to see clona duke on Monday at Nottingham, and what a sensational run he had in the Jennings Bet Select Stakes. So hoping that he runs another cracker. And I think he's uh, he's probably going to do so, Barry.
4: Yeah, look, I've seen the race on Monday night. It was a sensational run. It really was brave to get up the inside of Brookside, Richie. And look, when Clona Duke is good, he's very, very good indeed. Um, look, as he just showed that on Monday night, um, he has 29.47 around here for this distance. Probably has a tricky enough draw with Glory Baz on his inside, but it's all a bit. If he can come out, he, he could lead these. Glory Baz, I believe, has been sold and um, is heading to Graham Holland's kennel. I'm not too sure if it will be this weekend because he ran last weekend under the care of uh, Jared and Sheila Duncan. So I'm not sure if he has made the move, but I know that's the plan. Um, he's a dog who won his first six races. Um, he won six from six. The only defeat came last week when he was second behind Ballymun Boy. So um, he's a dog with a nice future. His card is still immaculate, like seven races, six wins. So um, yeah, I, I know he's making the move to Graham Holland shortly, but not too sure. Uh, when sober glory for Carol Ramsbottom I know Carol thinks a lot of this dog Um, he started in the early rounds just didn't go right for him um, when he was knocked out in the I think it was the third round behind Bob Slater talking 29.58 and still getting knocked out so um, speaking to Carol that night he said the plan is to get him back here at Derby final night and, and, and hopefully win a race so this has been the plan for him for the last two or three weeks Mr. Chell, and we've seen him since he came back to Ireland he looks like he's a different dog again unlucky to be knocked out behind either Kobe a couple of weeks ago where Kulavani Hoffa just took his ground at a vital stage. He finished fourth in the quarterfinal. Anna Bailey's a good class dog, but I think this is just a little step too far for him. Um, he's been consistently knocking around the high-class races for the last 18 months or so, but just for me, he's just two or three lengths off the very, very best in the country. A new import, again, quite lightly race. He's only uh, had the 11 starts, but this is a big step up for him as well. So, look, I think it's between one, three and four. I know that's very, very obvious indeed. They will be market leaders. But um, just on the draw, I will go with Sober Glory. I know this has been the plan now since he got knocked out. Um, Glory Bags is a decent dog, but all his winning has come in A3. And look, he's beaten first time in Open Race Company last week. beat. it still was a great run. Clona Duke, look, if he hits the lids, he's going to be very, very hard to beat, isn't he? But um, switching back from Nottingham again, probably not ideal. Uh, such short preparation. And Mr. Chelm, just not showing the early pace he was when he was in Ireland previously. But um, flying down the back straight and staying on strongly but uh, I don't think he could give Sorber Glory a start in a beating. So I'll give Sorba Glory a bit of a shout. I'd say he should be around about seven to two, uh, maybe even a little bit bigger, well-drawn on the fence. And I know Carol uh, thinks a lot of this stuff.
1: And they will be partying until the early hours at Shelburne Park on Saturday night, but they've certainly <laughs> making sure that no one's going home early with the last race on the card here, which is arguably the, the best race of the night. You've got Gaytime Nemo in one, Scaglietti in two, Ballymac Marino in three, Ball Sports Vic in four. Ballin a bowler, Ed. The white flash in five and a good maestro in six, Barry. Um, pff, wow, what a finale.
4: Not bad, is it? It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Anybody who's seen leaving the stadium before this, um, this race should be banned. <laughs> banned from the stadium for life. Um, yeah, look, look, what, where do you start? Like, it's just, it's classy all the way through. Derby winner in one, you know, Sky he was one of the favourites for the Irish Derby in two. Barry McMarino, oh, look, you could, you could name them all off. Um, as regards a winner, Oh, what do you do? Um, Scaglietti possibly if you can lead up, but um, you, how can you ignore Balanabola Ed? The white flash, ball Ed was so good over six hundred yards. So don't read too much into that. That this is a five-seven-five because they start at the same traps, just finish at a at a shorter line. So he's got plenty of form over the trip. Um, I think Sports Vic may just edge to the inside. So it might just help Ed. Look, we all know about Ed. Like when he's good, he's very good, isn't he? Um, I watched the race again from Nottingham on Monday night. He had no luck. And he, and he was still showing good pace into the third bend Um, when he was forced to check again. I don't think he was even beaten that far, was he? But um, yeah, he just goes off a short race because of the following he has. Probably shorter than he should be. It's a cracking race. It's not a race I'd be trying to get out on. If it was down to my last 20 quid and I needed to turn it into 100 quid to go for a few points, I'd be struggling, you know that way. But, um, yeah, it's, it, look, it's a cracking race. It's a tough race. I possibly just saw it with Balanabola, Ed. He has good form. Okay, I'm going to say over the trip. It's not over the trip, but it's it's the same traps and it's just a, a, an earlier finish line. So he's good form from these boxes. Boil Sports Vic will possibly move in. Um, good moisture has never been over this trip before. Traps, Traps might just catch him out. Um, uh, Baddy Marino just not flying to the corner, so there's a chance Ballinabola Ed could go up relatively handy. And if he does turn in the lead, uh, uh, nothing will catch him. So Ballinabola Ed in the last race for me, but he'd want to be two to one or so five to two because it's it's a it's a high class class race. But um, yeah, hopefully the White Flash could get us out. But we won't need to get out if because Larry has won early on. we we'll be playing with the bookmakers' money.
1: Exactly. I was just going to say, obviously we've got a cracking card there tonight or on Friday as well. Have you had a chance to look at that, Barry? And Rob, we're not go, through, we won't go through the card, but does anything stand out?
4: I know Bal Nikhil Alf um, has been superb in there the last couple of weeks. Um, I was talking to, he's owned by the Pillar Syndicate, so it's the same, it's the same gang who own uh, Jack Tavern Bella. So I, I asked them, are they going to go for the um, laurels? But they said no, they're keeping them there for the uh, time. Greyhound Nutrition. Um, Juvenile Derby. So, you're yeah, just looking through the cards, there's some there's some really good ones. Swords Hudson, of course, owned by the same people who have Swords. Uh, Rex, he won an un-race stake in there a couple of weeks so He's two from two. Nice-looking pup. There's a dog later on in the card in the seventh race called uh, Riverside Pingu. Um, He might be worth an interest. He ran quite well behind a lot of uh, other news on Saturday night. He's a dog with a big future. He's a strong sort. But, by the kill, Alf, he goes in race eight. Look, he's running against the Laddie he da So, it, it, it's a classic contest, that is. Laddie, that's stepping back in trip to five two five, and then like you have some Kentorp Road again. She's like so strong over seven fifty, and um, back to five two five. She'll be flying home. But um, yeah, look, these are the stars of the future. There's definitely going to be uh, a couple of nice ones to come out of the competition. Jennifer O'Donnell has a nice litter of pups by Droopy Sydney or Scooby Princess. There's a couple of them on the card there. They wouldn't have came cheek, let me tell you. Um, Dave showed some great form. Let's go, Bubbles for McKenna. I think she was the Puppy Oaks winner. She's Susie Taffer's half sister, she goes in the 40. That's a cracking heat because Boyle Sports Bob is in there, and Scooby the Duke, one of those um, aforementioned pups that Jennifer O'Donnell has. So, um, yeah, it's definitely um, a notebook competition because there certainly will be some stars of the future running there uh, tomorrow or Friday night.
0: Just going to be a sensational weekend at Shelbourne Park, and I'm I'm gutted I can't be there this this year, but I am going to go next year. Joey, are we going? We're going to go on a Gone to the Dogs trip.
1: Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Like I do mean to go. I'd love to have a runner. I mean, uh, it's a bit disappointing. There's no. I uh, Don't think anyone's going over for any of the supporting races. Um, obviously, the D- D- bold Freddie, but he's trained in Ireland now. Obviously, we've mentioned Craig, um, but you know, maybe next year we'll have. Uh, maybe Lauren will head over for a race or something like that because that would be a dream come true. It really would. We'll we'll see.
4: Bring your A game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we didn't do too bad when we came over for uh, Christmas time last year. So that's
4: true. That's very, very true. Yeah. Good night. Good night. Yeah. you had indeed. Yeah. That the uh, winner, Fabulous Azura was very good. That was a, a red hot race that she won as well on the night, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you never know. And just to have a runner would be uh, would be would be class. But you know, look, I cannot wait. Great action Friday and of course Saturday. Really looking forward to it. I'm away this weekend, but I will be one of those rude. People on my phone watching it. Uh, same. <laughs> needs to be people are used to that from me now. Do you know what I mean? It's not rude anymore. It's just like it's Joe. He's watching a horse race or a ground race. Leave him alone.
0: <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I'm at a sixtieth, and I'll just be there creeping away into the bathroom, just watching the Irish Derby and and the rest of them. So yeah, can't wait. Absolutely sensational, and Barry. Once again, thank you so so much for giving up your time for the Gone to the Dogs podcast. We're very very grateful.
4: No problem, guys, any time at all. Listen, have a good week, and hopefully we've 12 out of 12 for the, the <laughs> listeners come Saturday night.
0: Get, get on the ACCA.
4: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Barry,
1: top man, appreciate it.
4: No problem, folks, all the best.